just told Nate that I started watching the Fast Films. Uh, <laughs> oh, Fast man. Saga, oh, no. Two days ago. <laughs> Have you I'm seen on, them before? Currently on, I realized that I've only watched through Tokyo Drift, and I never watched it. Oh, my further. God. After, am, once yeah. you hit five, they just become superhero movies. It is. Yeah. But oh, their superpower was, is cars. I was dead <laughs> laughing at the beginning of five when Vin Diesel takes a crowbar up the side of his head, and he just goes, yep. ah! And throws the guy <laughs> off the train. I'm like, what is happening here? Um, uh, we'll get into that, though, because those movies are about family, and that's what we're about here. You're listening to The John Chi Show, hosted by three Korean-American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean-American, and more. And now, here's your hosts, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Welcome to... A sub, da- a sub down, a subdued version of the John Chi Show intro portion. I don't know what a the real, doing. A real chill intro to the John Chi Show. Uh, my a name is KJ. With intro. me is Patrick in the world. Um, this is an interview show, as you can probably tell by the title. So that means that we're not going to be spending a ton of time at, at this portion. Um, and Nathan is, where is he? Is he vacationing? I think he's in California doing making up for spring break and seeing family. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I don't know. Nathan's off living a life and we're the, the folks at home doing the hard work so that Nathan can be free. <laughs> Living vicariously through him in the places that he is right now. But mostly through his selfies. It's not like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. look at this place. It's just like, hey, here's a picture of me in front of some takeout containers. <laughs> a lot of takeout containers, yeah. So many takeout containers. Uh, Patrick, what does John Chi Show mean? What does John Chi mean? Why do we call ourselves the John Chi Show? John Chi means uh, feast in Korean. And we are the John Chi Show because we feast at the end of our show. But we are also with on snacks of Korean or now pan Asian origin. And we also are a show because each of the three of us share the identity of being Korean adoptees. And we talk about that stuff. So that's what we do here. That's why we're the John Chi show. Yeah, we typically uh, interview Korean adoptees when we have guests on, uh, although that is not always the case. And so uh, if you are a transracial, transnational adoptee and you want to come on the show, you can head to johncheeshow.com slash guest, fill out a guest form, and uh, and we'd love to have you on and, and have conversations with you. But this week, we have a fantastic conversation with Eric Kemp. Uh, Eric was... A friend of ours that I met uh, for the first time in Dallas, he was just like, yo, I'm coming to the show. <laughs> I was like, cool, <laughs> man. Uh, but I think he, did he know Nathan in person? Yes. And then like you had met him. We did talked you meet about him before? A, I, okay. So we talked about it a little bit in the episode, but yeah. Nathan claim, it did know him first okay. um, amongst all of us. But I don't remember if I met him before Dallas or if I just uh, talked to him on socials. Gotcha. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. But we also yeah, talk yeah. about our have our in-person connections now. You're because, cute. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Multiple trips to LA where I was able to hang out with them. So we talk about that yeah. a little bit too. Yeah, it was, a, it was a really fantastic episode. And it was great too. Like I, I always think it's such a, a privilege to be able to catch up with someone that we've gotten mm. to meet in person. And so we have like kind of a, a unique uh, conversation with him because it's not like, Usually when we have guests on, it's like, oh, it's nice to meet you. Anyways, tell us your deepest, darkest stories. Right. <laughs> but this time, like, we've already met. So it was, uh, it was more like catching up with a friend than it was like meeting someone for the first time. Yeah. But it's also interesting to me to have friends on the show 
like mm-hmm. after we've been friends and then hear them kind of walk through their story. Yeah. And because I feel like I have bits and pieces, like I knew bits and pieces of Eric's story, but to hear him kind of tell that full tale and weave that narrative uh, was really interesting and, and really powerful because there's some stuff that I did not know that he shared. And I was like, oh shit. Like it yeah. really, yeah, I was very thankful and privileged to, for him to, to have shared that with us. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a really fantastic interview, and we had a lot of fun. Um, and we recorded late at night our time, so I think all of us, especially towards the end, we're getting a little little slap happy, a little snack happy, a little sure. snack happy. Oh, excellent! Yes, yeah, we did have a good snack. So, well, I guess without further ado, we can kick it over to our interview with Eric Kemp, right? Let's do it. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the John Chi Show interview portion. We are very excited to be back for another interview with a very special guest, friend of the show. IRL friend of the show. IRL friend of the show. Eric Kemp joins us today on the John Chi Show. How are you doing, Eric? I'm doing well, guys. How's everybody doing? Dude, it's great to see you again. Yeah, it's great great to to hang out with you. It really is great to see all of you. And, um, you know, it's one thing to kind of like engage with you guys parasocially or like, right. you know, just over social media. And that, that's one thing. But like to be able to talk with you guys, see your faces. Uh, KJ looks like, yeah, you got some you got some beard action going last time. I, I mean, I you, guarantee so. I had that the last time. you saw. What? Yeah. No. So there's no. photo evidence. OK. All right. Look at those photos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I look up. I'll look back on them fondly. Yeah. <laughs> For folks who don't know, when I was in L.A. last year, Eric would come drive down to the airport where I was staying and pick me up not one and a half hours away. And he did that like four times out of the five Dang. days that I was there. <laughs> so we became fast and best friends during that trip. So I appreciate you, Eric, for being such a good being such a good dude. Oh, now he's your best friend, because as I recall, Hannah used to say that uh, that uh, he was her best friend. And then I had to explain that I met him first in Colorado before any wow. of you. Yeah, so but yes. did you become best friends? <laughs> Just because you met him doesn't mean that you became best friends. We no, met right. and became best friends on mul- multiple trips from the airport. So right. this is true. This is true. <laughs> All right. Enough fighting over Eric. Eric. That is enough fighting over Eric. Yes. Take it you away, know, Eric. You know Share how we do this. Share as much or as little of your story with us as you like. You're here on the show now. You know how we do it. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I guess my story starts out on February 29th, 1988. So for those of you keeping count at home, that's that's leap day. So already starting off with a kind of a unicorn situation here. Um <laughs> Nice. Uh, on my paperwork, um, whether I trust it or not, it says I was born in Kwangju City, um, which I was confused on whether that was the southern province or the southern kind of, uh, I don't know, district or, or I think it's province. But there's also a Kwangju City that's just east of Seoul. In any case, um, on the paperwork, it also said that it was not just like three days later, two days later, I was in Seoul Um uh, at Holt, and that's where I kind of got processed and what have you. And then three and a half months later, four months later, I was here in the United States. Um, my parents picked me up at Seattle, in, in Seattle, and then took me over to um, Salt Lake City, Utah, where they resided for two years with me and my uh, also adoptive sister, who's she's Korean, adopted, three years older than I am, not biologically related. Um, and then we moved to Denver, Colorado, where I called that home for about 30 plus years. 
um, not trying to date myself too much, but uh, 30 plus <laughs> years. And then we're not I, just on the show, Eric. <laughs> we haven't said that in a long time. Sorry. I, I, just just said said a long time. I we haven't yeah. said it a long time. It felt good to come out. Yeah. <laughs> throwback. Oh my goodness. Um well, do I call Nathan Young still? I think I do, right? Yeah, you probably. Okay, okay. So yeah. I still do. Yeah. We're <laughs> just case, age uh, aware. Yeah, age aware. Yes. Age aware. Age aware. I agree. Um and uh and then most recently it'll be two years in July that I moved out here to Los Angeles. Um and currently living in Koreatown and currently working for Radio Seoul um, as of this recording. So, um, you know, just a lot of life changes kind of I, I know I skipped a huge, huge gap there. Um, you know, I growing up, I was really into sports. I was always a very creative child. I love drawing. I love uh, writing, um, storytelling in general. Um, I was an indoor and outdoor kid like I would go outside oh, yeah. and play Unicorn football with my friends yeah. and then I, we would like stay up all night drinking surge and playing video games like that that <laughs> surge that was well, my what, childhood what Did kind of video games right though because if you just play more if you play like sports video games it doesn't count sports Whoa. video games was more like uh ideation of like uh, oh yeah uh, it was just like manifesting, manifesting who you wanted to be yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i always created my eric kemp character and he would just run all over the place or he would dunk on yeah. people's faces i still do that yeah. Oh, yeah i still do i still yeah. do too mlb the show dude i'm just jacking home runs left and right yeah. i um, resonate with that so hard um I'm, I'm glad i said jacking home runs um any case <laughs> moving on uh you know so happy childhood honestly and grew up with you know a lot of a lot of uh animals in the house my sister was there um and then i, th- I guess i think the unique thing that um isn't really um, prevalent in the kind of adoptee community is that I had a, I, I, I'm from a transracial family, but my mother, she's third generation Japanese American and my father is white. Um, and then just kind of adding on to the unicorn factor of like, where do I fit in this world? Um, they were also Mormon. So growing up Mormon, um, you know, there was this heavy religious influence and, um, you know, living that Mormon style and living that Mormon it, within that Mormon community and, and kind of having that be uh, a part of my life up until 12, 13 years old, where I started to get a tad more rebellious. And uh, um, and I engaged with like the, there was this pivotal moment where it was Sunday. I didn't want to go to church and I locked myself in the bathroom and they took a screwdriver to that door handle to get me out. Um, just cause I refused to leave. Um, I refused to let, let go of the handle. So, um, you know, I, I kind of came to this reckoning with, with religion and then also just anger and rebellion early on in life, like 12, 13 years old. And, um, up until that point, I was very happy, good grades, uh, you know, very active, uh, had friends and stuff like that. But, um, you know, they're just, I, I don't know if it was, it, it wasn't something because you guys talk about the apocalypse or like this kind of no turning back moment a lot. And, um, I don't think there was ever like that moment or I can't specify or I can't name it, but I know it's been like kind of this series of, of moments, these, these little stages in life that I'm like, whenever I look back on my life, I'm like, 
oh, things changed there. And then things mm. changed a little bit here. Or I felt like I took a step back there. And then I felt like I went in a different direction there. So um, trying to point out my own apocalypse, uh, it, it's near impossible. Um, I think that's fair. Like, <laughs> so to to borrow some religious language, uh, sure. people often talk about like in Christianity, like salvation as like a singular moment, an apocalypse, if you will. Uh, and yet uh, Charles, Charles Wesley, John Wesley, I don't know, some one of the Wesley brothers who founded Methodism, I think it's Charles Wesley, talks about like his like conversion, quote unquote, to Christianity as like a strange warming in his heart. And so like there is the sense of. I think like it can be a singular moment and it it can be like a slow fade or like a dimmer switch, you know, just like coming on or or fading off. So I'm really glad to hear your voice that. And I'm I'm curious too, if you don't mind just kind of hanging out here in this like 12 to 13 year old space, Mm -hmm. what, um, what was the thing that made you like pull away from the religion you were given? Uh, and then I have a, I actually have a follow up question, but I'm going to hang out with that one first. (laughs) Um, I think, what first made me pull away from religion entirely um, and especially kind of the Mormon faith was that it was heavily involved. Like you had seminary classes that you went to on the, like every day almost it felt like, or at least once a week you had a homeschool teacher on Mondays that would come and he was a great guy. I love Sherman, but I mean, the guy was, I mean, <laughs> shout out. One, I love Sherman. Yeah, shout <laughs> shout out Sherman. Uh, but it's one of those things where it's like my Sunday's completely occupied. And then the first yeah. Sunday of every month, it's like four hours of service. And then you had like a home teacher that was another three hours on a Monday night. And then, you know, you had, uh, in high school, you had seminary classes. So you're just like, and then also on on your your social life is in, entrenched with those that you go to church with too. And and for me, I I was questioning faith. I was questioning religion in general. And you know they also made it a, a something to note. Like they, it, it was supposed to be this personal um, personal engagement with with God, religion, the this holy Trinity, right? The the Holy Spirit, and. For me, it was like, I, I can't engage with any of this. I'm not getting any answers. Um, I feel like I'm just shouting into the nether and like, who cares? Like, who cares? Like, uh, there's no, I felt like there was no consequences at a certain point too. And uh, other than parental judgment. But um, for me, you know, I just, at, I guess at a very early age, I was just like religion and kind of just feels like, BS to me. And I just, I, Mm. it was just make believe. And I'm like, well, what's that any different? And I think that's where (laughs) like, and I've always kind of turned to comedy as a defense mechanism. So I apologize if any of my jokes like might seem offensive. It's just more like, you know, for like, for me, it's like, I I follow the people that, yeah, if they want to praise the flying spaghetti monster or the fawns or whatever, (laughs) they can certainly do that. And that that's the thing is that there's there are churches there are belief systems that follow these kind of insane things going on. I'm like, well, how's that any different? And um, you know, um, for me, it was more about just like being a good human being, being a good person, and I don't think I needed a belief system for that. Um, yeah, uh, especially with religion and also the very tenuous Mormon faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I hear that, and I I think I, I just asked because I remember being that age. And being deeply entrenched in Christianity, not quite like, I mean, well, I don't know. I went to a Christian school at the time. So it was, it was a lot of Christianity all the time forever. 
And uh, yeah, and I just remember being super angry. And I, but I don't know, like for me, that that didn't necessarily have anything to do with my adoption story at that time. And sure. yet, I feel shades of that now. So I was just kind of curious, you know, like yeah. what was happening there, and and where that anger came from, besides just like puberty <laughs> and like <laughs> probably adoption and just like being being angry. So definitely, yeah. um, you know, to be quite honest and just fair to myself and to the people that have come through in my life. Like I was angry for a long time and didn't know why. And I never pointed to adoption for that. Um, Cause uh, I guess I'm kind of burying the lead here, but like growing up in Denver, Colorado, there was actually these heritage camps that I went to ever since I was five I and was it was for adoptive families. And so um, we'd go all, we'd all go to the mountains um, in winter park, Colorado or close to it. And we would go to the YMCA, the kind of the, the YMCA kind of establishment up there. Um, we'd rent out the cabins, the, the, all the spaces, and then all these adoptive families across the nation would um, come together. And we'd go through kind of like workshops and seminars, and we'd be with similar age groups. And it was really, um, it was really great. That was like my favorite time of the year. Cause once again, I, you know, I couldn't voice it back then, but um for me it was like oh i get to have a sense of kinship i get to see people that look like me um you know there was so much that actually just went unsaid which was wonderful i never felt like i had to explain myself when i was up there yeah um and it was really kind of this gorgeous thing that happened they'd bring in korean musicians uh there would be like a hanbok parade um, there would be with like the little, littler kids. It was, it was adorable. Um, I look back on it now, not as fondly, but at the time it was very <laughs> adorable. Um, well, cause it's, I don't, I, I'll, I'll speak to it right now is that looking back on it with, mm, you know, a little bit more of a critical perspective, it's a bunch of white adopters, um, throwing on Han box onto a chill, uh, adopted children, adopted mm. children, and then parading them around like as they're they're there for your um you know entertainment. So um I get that that wasn't the intention, but the intent, and I've I think I've heard you say this, KJ, or you guys have said this on the show, that intent does not always negate impact. And mm-hmm. so um that's not something that like I'm scarred by or because I, I was part of those parades and stuff, but it's it's just one of those things where you have this different perception of this used to be good, a good thing in my life. And now it's, it's a little bit bittersweet. And, yeah. and I felt like that's been kind of my adoption journey in general, growing up with these camps, becoming a camp counselor, becoming a counselor coordinator. I started seeing through the veil of how these camps are run um, mm-hmm. or how it was being developed or how, or the people in charge of it. Um, and, I quite frankly, as I got deeper and deeper, I didn't like what I saw. Now sure. I can't speak to the camp's current status um, there, um, but uh, you know, it, I I know that there's more adoptees on the board now, um, and that they are still doing programming, um, albeit with you know less um, Korean adoptees each year. Um, the the scale isn't as big. So at its height, this Korean heritage camp had 250 families and you figure wow. the average family was about four Damn. people, you know, yeah, um, that's a lot. And the camp was, yeah, that was, it was a lot. It's the largest uh, one in the nation. Yeah. So 
Go on Endeavor. Encyclopedia Nathan just dropping some facts. <laughs> just yeah, no, dropping I, These are things I've learned about it since I've been here because I never even, I never had heard of it actually, um, right. even from California or even when I was in college here. I, I never heard about it. Um, but uh, since then, I've I've learned that it's one of the largest. It's uh, also got um, uh, over, I think, nine different camps, not just for Koreans, mm-hmm. some from for uh uh, Chinese adoptees, South American adoptees. So they have different um, um, weeks or days or locations even for, for those different camps and stuff. So it's a uh, growing and um, I, I think uh, Shanae might even be speaking at it this year. And I've actually gotten contact with the, uh, the organizers for potential John Chiso show stuff, but was, look was at you. Else. It was Getting something that we, door. we can talk off air as, <laughs> as uh, um, yeah. Anyways, back as we to find Eric. Out more. Yes. Uh, yeah, I actually do have a question and sure. a comment, or a yeah. comment and then the question. Um, I think it's interesting that you brought up how you didn't feel like you had like an apocalypse moment per se, but it was more of a series of moments. And then you told us about how you were involved in these heritage camps really early. And not only as just a participant, but somebody who then moved into the system as like a leader, as a, as a counselor and stuff. And I feel like it makes total sense that you wouldn't have one singular moment because you were engaging with this community, even unwittingly, from a very early age. And so you were kind of exposed. And not only that, but then exposed to kind of the side of the system that we don't talk about when we're growing up. The things that we can't articulate, you were finding probably some language and stuff for, or at least thinking about it more critically. At, at least that having time. some feelings about it. Yeah, yeah like when we're teenagers I like this, I don't and like like this. we're pissed off yeah. about other stuff, like you're like yeah. pissed off about the right things, just you don't know why yet. <laughs> it's like, yeah. why exactly. is I'm angry, but I don't know why. But it's different than your anger. Right. Mm-hmm. How did that experience then shape the way that you navigated engaging with other adoptees and or the Asian American community moving forward after you left. Well, I guess you probably didn't leave Denver. You said you were there for 31 years, but after you left like high school and you went to college, you did other stuff. Like how did that shape, did that shape the way that you navigated those relationships based on your experience of the camps? Absolutely. Um, And that's a great question too, because um, I, you know, I, I consider myself very grateful and very privileged to be able to have these camps, um, be a part of a, a large part of my life. Um, I met, you know, and, and still have some of my greatest friends come from there. Um, but in regards to how it shaped, um, you know, my behavior experiences in the outside world, outside of Denver, Colorado, outside of the camps, outside of just, you know, any kind of safety net, I actually... It, it's interesting because I think we all develop like these little mini scripts that we use, right? And it's like, I'm Eric Kemp, I'm adopted, blah, 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 blah. And you just kind of, you just kind of run through you the hit motions that because, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just kind of this natural response. So, and I've always felt very comfortable in sharing that I am adopted with other people, um, mostly because um, I'm not afraid of the questions. I'm not afraid of the triggering moments that, um, you know, I'm because I'm doing better to trying to acknowledge other people's experiences with these moments. Because for me, for a long time, I've been able to kind of either shirk them with a silly response or just kind of like avoid it and not care anyway. Um, but for um, I, I think that's where the camps kind of really helped me feel comfortable about sure. who I am as an adoptee and mm. 
um, feel uh, either a sense of pride or just confidence um, in in kind of engaging with others or letting people know about that. As far as Asian Americans go, um, it was I felt like that was more difficult to navigate than um, I would say the wider public. Sure. And it's mostly because I think the one thing that I did struggle with a lot um, as far as being a transracial intercountry adoptee um, from Korea too, was that how do I feel Korean enough um, mm. in certain spaces? And, you know, uh, I think, you know, you guys have talked on the show where you'd get to college and you're like, Oh, there's an Asian organization. Do I engage? Do I not engage? I was always like trying to be first one in the door and like, you know, engage with others and stuff like that. I can that. imagine that. Yeah. Knowing, and, you, knowing <laughs> you now, I can imagine yeah. that. Um, but it didn't always turn out for the best because, like, they had all these in-jokes. They had all these different mm. experiences than me. They had all this cultural knowledge. Uh, that's where I uh, got that stupid Korean pun from that we talked about earlier on the show uh, <laughs> or, or off air. But that that's where a lot of these things come from, and it's because... I they stuck in my mind so much to the point where I'm like, how do I be a better Korean? How do I be a better Korean? Mm-hmm. And in in a certain way, my current situation where I'm working for Radio Korea, where it's a Korean language broadcasting system, and I'm also in Koreatown, I think those are still subconscious manifestations of me trying to be yeah. like, to earn my Koreanness. But mm-hmm. in in a certain sense too, it's like I've just become more comfortable in 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 engaging with other Asians once I know a little bit more of the language. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, also, food is such a great thing that brings people together. So, and, you know, and and uh, I have the stomach for it, too, to prove that <laughs> I, I like food and I love trying out a whole bunch of other stuff. So um, I think being able to connect with people that way, something over uh, something that's innocent, something that's non-controversial, something that we can all kind of uh, enjoy has really been quite a pleasure in connecting with others. But um, yeah, Eric Camp, basically one of dives the, in the deep end. <laughs> Eric Camp, one of the most friendliest dudes you'll ever meet. Uh, I swear the, one of the best qualities of my dad is that he could just talk to anybody. And that is a hundred percent Eric Camp. When we went to the <laughs> Catholic gala, I was like, this dude is just talking to everybody and I love it um, and connecting with everyone. I thank you for sharing that before we jumped ahead. I wanted yeah. to ask one other follow-up question specifically about the camps. And so you sure. touched on how, when you came out of that experience, like you were comfortable navigating the conversation about being adopted. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you what, because you were kind of learning in that experience, whether it was adoptive centric or focused knowledge that you were learning at the time, you were still picking up that comfortability to be able to talk about it. Do you remember if you walked away with any language specifically that you were using as an adoptee versus what like we see a lot now from like a lot of adoptees like us who in the last three years have started to use some of this language that's kind of been floating around for a little while? Um, that's a great question. And, uh, I'm glad that you brought that up because no, I didn't, I, I built up these defense mechanisms and I developed kind of what we were talking about that, um, that script. So it was, it was kind of like a customer service script. It was just like, okay, if they say this, then say that if they do this then do that. And, and so that's what I was running through my head and I got pretty good at it. Um, but as far as 
you know, TRA in our country, um, you know, uh, even coming out of the fog. I don't know if we want to even use that term anymore. And and that's what that's the thing is like uh, I've been able to. And and once again, I think if we're going to point to any kind of apocalypse, uh, the <laughs> COVID-19 was one of them um, where um, I started seeking out um a little bit more because I was all stuck inside. I couldn't really see my friends. So I was, I was stuck and I was like, well, now is a good as time as ever to kind of start looking through this stuff. And, um, it wasn't, it wasn't shortly after that. Um, I met Nathan on my way to LA at a kind of a mutual dinner party where, um, I was like, so Nathan, what are you doing? He's like, well, I got this podcast thing. You want to check it out? <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, I love podcasts, you know? <laughs> and and then I just like marathoned through all of your stuff. So just kind of, um, you know, well, I shouldn't say marathon. I, I definitely just sprinted through a lot of those um, podcasts. And then I started I mean, like that, engaging. At that point, it was only like 20 episodes probably. I know. Uh, and that's that's why I was like, oh, Now I someone has this. to do like, now it is a marathon. It's 130. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, now it's just a weekly thing for me, so which is perfect. But really, getting back to your point, Patrick, was that like I had certain scripts, sayings, um, behavior, defense mechanisms built in from those camps, um, whether they were to the benefit of the adoptee or not. It was just a way of getting through a conversation and explaining who I was. However, I didn't develop actual, I think, academic verbiage or vernacular to fully express and identify what it was I was going through, who I am and what I identify with. So a long time I was just like, yeah, I'm adopted from Korea or I'm a Korean adoptee, which is fine. Um, But once you start saying like, well, my parents aren't the same race as me, like, is there a word for that? You know, or like the fact that there's this loss of country and culture and language is there a Mm. word for that is I mean, so in seeking out language, somebody that, you know, for me, um, something that I think people should know about me is like I seek out how language can uh, language and and communication can dictate our experiences on such a uh, it can have such a huge impact on Mm -hmm. how we uh, formulate our experiences. And so being able to have that language, being able to have that vocabulary is crucial. Um, and, it, and it's amorphous. It's, it's constantly changing. And, that, right. and that's something that I've also learned from uh, the queer community is that there's these, these words that are constantly changing, constantly morphing. It's all fluid. Um, and it's what you can make of it. And it, you're constantly redefining what those terms mean. And um, for adoptees, I feel like that's what we're currently doing or we have set things in place. But um, there's still a ton of work to do. And I think for me personally, there's still kind of a ton of work that I want to do to make sure that I'm um, further defining my experiences and and, uh, which is also going to help me identify um, who I am as a person. I love listening to to you parse through your own experiences. Uh, I think it's really interesting and and I can tell how. Maybe I'm reading into this actually, but it feels to me like uh, you're unsure and a lot of you being on this podcast, I think, is you being willing to be unsure publicly. So thanks yeah. for that. Um, I think it's, it's really important and really wonderful. Uh, I think like because because it's the medium of podcasting and especially if like people 
our regular listeners, you can fall into the trap of like, oh, these people know what they're talking about, you know, whatever. And uh, and I I personally try to emphasize a lot that I don't know what I'm talking about. And I personally try to emphasize a lot that I'm still on this journey of discovery. And even like when I'm looking through your form, you answer a lot of our questions with questions, which I think is is really you're just like i don't know ron swanson of you you're just like what's what's happening what's what's going on what who makes me am i a man am am i what you know all these things and i think it's really lovely and 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 so just listening to you question those things and and parse through your past experiences i think what's so interesting is like i definitely identify you know that being given that language going to a camp uh from five to say high school is that an accurate timeline yeah Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So from five years old to the like to high school graduation, you fall into the rhythm. You you actually not even maybe fall into the rhythm. You're given a template, and then you develop your own script for. Uh, here's my name. Here's where I'm from. Like, and I think it's like we've moved away from it because we haven't been asking that specific thing. Uh, it's been intentional, but like we're like, oh, what's your adoption story? Most adoptees would be like, well, I was adopted from blah, blah, blah. And I was this month old and I was, mm-hmm. or however old and I was adopted to here or blah, blah, blah. And I have siblings. Like, like everybody has all those adoptees have those scripts. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's because like when we were growing up, that's what adults wanted to know from us. And I don't know that many of us made that conscious choice to say, you know what? I'm an adult now. I can tell my own story. I could change. <laughs> yeah. I could choose to ask different questions and those kinds of things, you know. And I think it's really lovely that you are asking different questions and that idea of playing with language and just trying to find out like what what feels right for you uh, is so important um, because. Like, I don't know, like the apocalypse thing, I think feels right for me sometimes. And then you're like, no, I don't, I don't know that I've had an apocalypse moment. But oh, oh, yeah, that also feels right. And, you know, and yeah. I think the, the idea that we're allowed to change and we're allowed to uh, continue to update our lingo um, mm-hmm. is good and is right. Where do you think you are now in terms of how Korean you feel, how adopted you feel, how how you would describe <laughs> Eric Kemp. Uh, How like, where are, are you? you? And get I mean, <laughs> no. That's a good question. Yeah. I feel it's a little 70% the, today. The wording of it is just, it's funny. Well, but, and I think and, the reason, the, the reason I do that is because like I had the, I had the chance to meet someone from Sudan and mm-hmm. uh, he and his, his parents immigrated, um, I don't know, sometime in the like previous century. Uh, so he's been here for a, a long time. And I was, so I like, it was a small, it was a, you know, small talk conversation, whatever. And we're just like, oh Yeah here's two minorities. Let's talk about ourselves, you know? And, but I was like, how quickly then can I subvert the question and try to break someone out of the script that they might fall into? Right. Because I want to get, you know, so yeah. So how adopted do you feel? How Korean do you feel? How, Mm -hmm. how would you describe Eric Kemp (laughs) right now? Can I, can I piggyback on top of that too? And how much of the move from Colorado to California has affected that at all? Those, those are great questions, and that's a um, an amazing follow up. Um, you know, thinking about how I'm, you know, I, I've always felt this insecurity of not being Korean enough. Um, but it's it, it was also from it. It also stems from a re- like my initial rejection of Korean culture too, because with those camps, there were only like four days out of the summer and then you're back and then you're back in the real world where 
you kind of shirk all that and you put it aside and you kind of bury it deep or you compartmentalize You're it. Like, was that a dream? Well, it's like, who has the time too? So like, yeah. how do you keep doing all that stuff? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it, that's a great point is that, uh, we, we had kind of that moment for a year and then we had to quickly let it go. Um, and granted, you know, there were still people in the area that I kind of frequented and talked with, but, um, we were all at our respective schools. We were all going through different things, but, um, at a certain point I just had to be one of the crowd again. Um, and, uh, I fought for that. Um, but where I am at now is that there's this guilt of that initial rejection, right. Of, of, you know, I, cause I went to like, I remember very fondly that I went to, well, maybe not fondly, but I remember well that I went to a Korean culture class with my sister and a bunch of her friends. And then, you know, it, I didn't have anybody there. And maybe that's probably why I rejected it was I only went to this one class and they talked about Korean culture, K-pop, all that stuff. And, um, I rejected it. I didn't like it. I was just like, this is not for me. This is not classic rock. This is not football. What is this? Um, so, I rejected it. I was just, I was done with it and I didn't want to hear any more of it. Um, and then when I was 17 years old, um, my, it, it, this was the summer before my senior year. Um, I had a lot going on. I wanted to be with my friends for that one last summer. In any case, my mom's like, Hey, there's this opportunity to go to Korea. And I rejected that. And that's another, like one of those kind of, um, regrettable moments. So, where I'm at now, I feel like some of that is me trying to make up for those moments that I rejected earlier on in my life where I had those opportunities. I had that um, privilege um, to actually go and, and engage with these things, whereas um, and this was also in Denver, Colorado, which was still very it's still a very white populous place. You know this, Nathan, but um, and it's getting better, but. At that time, like to have those kind of resources um, at such an early and formidable age was huge. And I regret and I currently regret not being able to take advantage of those when I did. And so right now, yes, it can be like this thing where I'm trying to make up for it. But it's also just because I'm a lot more comfortable. I'm less like I less I, I don't feel like I need to be Korean enough anymore. It's just more like, hey. Give yourself some slack here. You you didn't know the language. You're you were crappy at acquiring languages in general. Like I had, <laughs> I was not good. Like uh, I joined so, it was a middle school. I went. I took French because there was a girl in that class I really liked, and French was not for me. And so then I went to Spanish, and so I was already behind in Spanish. And then I was like, Spanish is not for me. And then in high school they had German class, and I was like, oh, let's do German. And then I was like, this is all confusing. Um, they said it was closer to English language. So I did that. Um, <laughs> like, how, how, yeah, Which it English? was not close. <laughs> yeah. They shared like kindergarten and that was probably the, yeah. the one, the one thing that Waffle, I learned um, maybe. and beer garden. Um, but all, all these things, the, the language, the culture, the, the look, right. The, all of it, I just felt like I was rejecting it um, and not fully embracing it and also felt rejected by it. Um, mm. every time I tried to engage with others, um, who are Korean American or first gen 1.5s, twos, threes, it didn't really matter because I just didn't have those kind of experiences that they had. So, um, 
where I'm at currently here in Koreatown, I'm loving it. Um, I really am. Uh, it's it's just so much uh, a blend of cultures. Actually, a lot of people think Koreatown's you know mostly Koreans. It's actually 50% Latino, um, 30% Korean, and then there's actually a big Oaxacan population here. Um, there's just such a blend of foods. Uh, Thai town is like just uh, a few blocks north of Koreatown. Um, little Armenia is just kind of northeast. So. There's just so much culture here. And to Nathan's point about moving to California, that was a decision. Um, if I'm going to pick any kind of apocalypse, that was my <laughs> apocalypse, I guess, you know? Um, well, and I, and I point to COVID-19 was that um, in 2021, February, um, I remember it because it was, I was in the hospital for my birthday. I got COVID and it was bad. Um, it was really bad. And um, they gave me a pulse oximeter. They said, if it goes under 90 and stays under 90, you're going to have to go to the hospital. I was like, okay. And so there was one night a blizzard was coming in and my pulse oximeter was like 85 and just kind of staying there. I was like, great. Damn. Well, I'm going to call my mom and see if she can drive me to the <laughs> hospital. So she takes me to the hospital. I spent, oh gosh, four days there. Um, but the first night, I just didn't know if I was going to wake up the next day. So that sucks. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was scary. And I never had that kind of, I don't know, like I never really had that kind of life or death moment. And, um, and then speaking of regrets, you know, it's like, well, like, what did you always want to do? Like that you didn't think, you know, that you never engaged with. And it was like, well, I never got out of Denver, Colorado, like I wanted to. And I never, you know, pursued, moved to Southern California and pursued the film and television industry or do any of that. Um, well, if I make it out of here, then I'm going to do exactly that. And so that's what I did. Put in my two weeks notice um, from a great software company that I was working with. Shout out to Brand Folder. And honestly, they 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 said, go for it. And um, and my parents, they were obviously hesitant um, to do that. But <laughs> Uh, I saw that Los Angeles County was opening up in July, 2021. I was like, okay, I'm there. Um, I had to kind of rely on my old, um, you know, career in, in radio to kind of get a landing job down, down here in, in, um, in Los Angeles, but, um, and kind of, you know, go through some family friends for, you know, a living situation, all that stuff. But, um, that was where it, for the, one of the first times I felt like I'm on my path as opposed to anybody else's yes, expectations. Yes. And Dude, so, yes. yeah, uh, it felt, it felt, I felt stunted and, you know, uh, infantilized my entire life. And for the first time, um, you know, uh, the ripe age of <laughs> 32, We're not ages on the show. I know, I know, but, <laughs> but I think that's where I'm trying to give myself the patience and the, the leeway and, and the understanding that, um, everybody's on their own journey. They're all doing it in their own time. And so, um, for me moving out to California, Nathan, it's been a blast. There's so much diversity. There's so much, um, things to do. There's, um, and I love it and I hate it. Like the traffic is God awful. The parking <laughs> whack. What is this? But when you think about just, um, I think making that decision and honestly, it could have been New York could have been yeah. the middle sure. of nowhere. Um, it really could have, um, but at least the decision was mine. It was mine to make. And for the first time I decided to kind of take that leap. 
Well, damn, dude. Thank you for sharing all of that. Freaking that was amazing. That's so good. That was amazing. I'm so happy for you. Um, Thanks, KJ. Yeah, super hyped. I just want to go through because when you, f- I just want to get to where you're at right now on your path because I feel like sure. our journeys are very parallel in a lot of ways, especially specifically going back to that initial rejection. Like I had a moment yeah. like that when I was young too, went to a Korean thing, rejected it. My parents see that rejection and are like, why would we? make him yeah. do anything Asian related when he doesn't like it. So like not having the opportunities to then engage, but like, I think about that second or that first rejection and how it really set the foundation for how I would navigate as Asian and Asian stuff and feeling that regret. So I wanted to start there because I want to say, I think it's totally natural to feel that none of that shame, none of that, any of that is on you for feeling that way and for rejecting that in the first place. We were put in untenable situations uh, when it comes to being connected with our cultures and it, through no fault of our own, had to navigate that shit. And so feeling that guilt, totally get it because I think we all feel it at some point in some form or fashion. I totally know what you're talking about because I've been talking about this moment a lot recently and thinking about that and processing that and going through some of that guilt. And so it's hard to tell myself that it's okay that it wasn't my fault, but it's much easier for me to tell you that it's okay. <laughs> and it is not yes, your fault take to, to go through that. Um, but specifically thinking about how you would go through and engage and then finding yourself now at 30 going through experiencing something that I did not experience, like a near death experience, you know, to be your Kickstarter, your motivator, whatever it was. But this life event that has you thinking about, well, what did I not do? And thinking about those past regrets, like, Mine was totally different, but also on the same journey of like, what is it that I'm not, what's missing in my life? And it was like the piece of like a part of my identity, the piece of me that I just wasn't, that I just didn't know existed, but wasn't there for so long, finding that piece, knowing that that, oh, is my path that I'm supposed to be on, which leads us all here to sitting in this, in this Zoom or the Zencaster room right now, shout out Zencaster, uh, (laughs) to have this conversation. To be able to talk about this and knowing that you're doing it on your own. And yeah, so just bringing it full circle to being like just showering you with love and giving you your flowers right now for being on that path because it's hard. It's hard to say yes to that. And it's hard to not always know what's going to be the next thing that we're going to find ourselves on or where that's going to come from and how we're going to make it. So that's a difficult thing going through it right now. So I feel you. Um, And I love you for what you're doing, dude. You're you're doing it. So a lot it, it takes a lot to do and you're doing it. So Thank yeah, you. I commend you for making the change. I mean, that's like you said, I mean, granted it was it was a moment on your in a hospital bed that you're thinking, okay, I'm gonna do this, but uh I mean that's still a hard thing to do once you come out of it because you could easily have just gone right back to yeah. oh, I'm just gonna go back to work. I'm just gonna go keep doing the thing that I was doing. Um uh, but instead you you moved out to to um to LA and that's you know that that's I found that so amusing when we did meet because it was we were crossing paths I'm yeah. I'm leaving LA after being funny. there for 20 years of doing kind of what you're doing I mean I went out there not to seek you know my anything about adoption but sure. finding it while I was out there I found so many things you know when I was in California um you know including you know my wife including meeting my you know biological family when I was out there just there's so much that I, I remember about California. Um, but then we're switching places. You're going to California. I'm coming to Colorado with my family and trying to raise them out here. So it's, it's, uh, um, I was really happy to have met you at that, uh, at that party. And I'm glad that I was on a journey to 
connect with the adoption community and you were already doing that and you were already um, involved in that community out here, which, uh, which is something to also ask, I guess, um, how much of the community uh, have you been um, um, being, have, how much of the community have you been involved in, in California um, switching, you know, kind of from the, the Colorado community to the uh, adoptee community and out there? Um, actually tons. So, um, for me, the adoptee community has always been kind of this like safety and blanket and kind of like this, um, sense of warmth, um, that I've always felt, um, with myself where I get to be myself, my true self, um, not, not putting on some face, not, you know, being some kind of projection of myself, but my true self. And I always felt that was more comfortable within the adoptee spaces. And so, um, you know, I had a little bit of a falling out from the Colorado adoptee communities, mostly just because the camps were a large part of that. Um, and I grew jaded from those um, through certain experiences. Um, I, I still keep in touch with, you know, those that are very close to me. And um, But um, out here, I decided, well, gosh, there's got to be tons of adoptees, you know. I mean, every there, there's I mean, because the population in general is just like it's, massive, it's a numbers so. game at that point. Yeah, <laughs> right. it's just like all right. Well, they gotta be here. I gotta they gotta them. be here. You know, just kind of pointing a random direction. Maybe a random Asian person. I don't know. But um, that was actually one of the first events that I did. Was like I got here in July, and then that um, I think it was in September. And then so I got settled in August, and then that September they uh, um, AKSF, which is um, uh, an adoptee, a Korean adoptee organization in San Francisco in the Bay Area. And then also um, there's an AKA SoCal group that's, I don't know, they're, they're kind of dormant, but it was more, it was more the AKSF group that really kind of spurred this trip and had this event where a bunch of them just came down from the Bay. They had some programming, they did some karaoke and some potluck, and that's what we did. Um, and I just felt at like, I felt at home. I felt at mm. home. So it was like a home away from home. And so I think that's what really, kind of help me get settled in and say, Eric, you can still do this. You can still engage with the adoptive community. Yes, you might have maybe had a falling out or maybe some bridges were burned, you know, back in Colorado, but like you get to be um you get to kind of reinvent um how you engage with the adoptive community and how you get to present yourself and how you get to um learn more about other adoptees' experiences. And and my lens, my whatever you want to call it, like the the scope of of what I knew about adoptees just just like expanded tenfold, and it was it was really amazing because um, people I think especially post pandemic were and I shouldn't say post pandemic because we're still kind of in it in my opinion, but there's still this thing where I think a lot of people had that burgeoning um, that that blossoming of 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 their adoption identity and so the numbers like you said patrick like even jokingly yes but at the same time and realistically there were so many more experiences that i never even heard of there's you know um, people that were gaslit their entire lives that just found out there you know people from uh they were adopted as korean uh, like from korean with korean parents so they weren't transracial there i mean um there are people that um 
they've adopted themselves. So it, it's just, it's all over um, uh, the experiences. And so that being able to kind of widen my perspective of what it means to be a Korean adoptee um, was definitely evident in, in kind of those events. But also too, I just, once again, even though I was learning a lot, um, I still felt comfortable in that space. Um, and I think in those spaces, it's, it's really important to have people feel comfortable, have people feel safe. Um, and because you're, you're leaving yourself vulnerable. And, um, I guess one of the things that I like, but don't like is the trauma bonding that happens when you get into these spaces. Cause it can yeah, be very tough. dangerous. Um, yeah, there's times where I'm like, Oh, this person's a Korean adoptee. What a unique thing. I'm going to go talk to them. And then it turns out, Oh, they're kind of a, uh, not a good human being. So never mind. but we've already kind of bonded through this trauma that we had as an adoptee. Like how do I pull away, you know, <laughs> kind of like on a nice, in a nice way. But do you, you say know, it in that voice in your head when you're going through that experience? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, actually, uh, I just envisioned the like Simpson, Homer Simpson <laughs> meme where he's just slowly walking back into the, into the bush. <laughs> no, I just imagine he turns over to imaginary That's school music. Zoinks! I made a friend that I don't want to keep him. <laughs> and Scooby's like, bro, bro. This is, this is just my hilarious. nice way of trying to say, like, there are going to be Korean adoptees that, um, or just people that share a very unique experience with you and um, be careful and be cautious that they may not have the best intentions. Um, um, or exhibit the best behavior when engaging, uh, or when after they, after you kind of already connected. Um, yeah. And, uh, don't also feel, I, I think for me, this is a lesson that I had to learn was that, um, because of my past experiences and then also just kind of growing up within the adopted community, like I also felt like maybe there was an obligation of me trying to help this person. I didn't. Yeah. And yeah. I felt maybe I was yep. equipped to do that, but then after kind of learning more and more and more about this person, I was like, <laughs> "You were like, oh, oh no, I'm definitely oh. not equipped to <laughs> I'm handle not a therapist this." Therapist or a mental yeah. health professional. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that's huge too. And yeah. I, I've heard a number of other adoptees talk about it. And I'm not even like I'm only aware of the term trauma bonding in adoptee spaces, uh, and specifically with adoptees who've like engaged in the community for longer than three years, like I have, because I'm just a baby adoptee. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think it's it's important to realize that like, oh, yeah, like your adoption is a thing that you have in common, like it should maybe stop and end there. Yeah. And then remember that they're a whole other person. But it feels so wonderful to to be seen and to be known by someone who gets it where there need be no translation, no explanation. You don't have to drop into your script because realistically, like you both know each other's beats, like you've both written your own, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so it can feel really nice to, uh, to interact with someone on that level. And if it's your first time or your second time, or that gives you just a type of endorphin rush, then you might seek after that again, depending on the experiences that you've had. Uh, and it can be really dangerous. Like you said, um, I love that going to LA has, has exploded your, uh, mental model of what it means to be an interracial adoptee, a Korean adoptee, adoptee, you know, kind of at large. Um, one of the things that you talk about on your form over and over again, <laughs> which I, I mean, I get, cause why you cut parts of why you moved to LA is representation and media and those mm -hmm. kinds of things. I'm curious, um, as you've done this soul searching and thinking about who you are and who you want to be. Uh, and as you've then had your experience for adoptees experiences and, and, and had that expanded, what, what are you 
hoping for in media, maybe for the adopting narrative and, and perspective? And is that something that you are working towards doing, like taking an active role in being out there? Um, yeah, that's uh, thank you for kind of bringing that up and also kind of um, really bookending that, you know, the, the trauma bonding. Um, I think that's something that's very important to kind of um, acknowledge. Um, and then as far as shifting gears and going into media representation of adoptees, it's, it, I think it was one of those things, right? When I saw it happening when I was younger, I was like, oh, Luke Skywalker's adopted. Oh, Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, nearly every superhero on Earth is adopted. <laughs> also, um, like every Disney prince. Well, maybe yeah. not, they're not adopted, <laughs> but uh, they're all parentless, which we somewhat vibe with. So. Right. So there's there's just so many of these heroes journeys, right? Joseph Campbell's heroes journey. I'm not going to get into that conversation, but <laughs> you don't need to give us like the same <laughs> cat. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I mean, uh, you were listen. A I will, I will, I will engage in film criticism and theory with you guys if you want, but uh, I don't think this is the podcast for it. In any case, but the hero's journey, right? In and it has this um, call to action, and mm-hmm. I feel like in our own calls to action as an adoptee, um, it's never been genuine and it's never been treated seriously. And in my opinion for what I would want to see in media representation for adoptees is that, that genuine, I'm looking for that genuine experience. Um, and it is borderline documentary, but no offense to everybody. I'm sick of documentaries. I want something on a mass media. <laughs> Seriously though. I, I want something yeah, on a no mass media to scale. Anybody in documentaries, but I'm about to get offensive. <laughs> well, I like it. I love that people are willing to share their experiences and leave themselves extremely vulnerable about their own personal lives and engage in this very genuine, right? I mean, it's straight from, you know, it's a documentary. Um, of course it's going to have its own angles, but that the, the point is, is that, um, when you show a documentary to uh, about an adoptee to a non-adoptee or a, an audience, um, that may not know what's going on, it's, it's like, Oh, it's very catered to that individual whereas there are things there are dynamics within an adoptee's experience whether you're domestic intercountry or whatever um that is kind of shared um amongst the larger community and the diaspora of of adoptees in general so that's what i would like to see more of is is to hit those tones hit those beats um on a mass scale to fully convey what we want to see um and be an advocate for how we want to be represented in mass media. And um, I just feel like every attempt that they're making right now is a step forward, but, and maybe not a step forward in the right direction. So that's where I think, um, yes, Patrick and I, we've had many conversations about this, of how (laughs) we want to make sure that um, when these projects are happening or you hear about them happening, that we're getting our foot in the door and we're we have a seat at that table, and we are actually being represented not just in front of the camera, but behind the camera, and um, e- everywhere in between. Because um, who better to tell the experience of a Korean adoptee than a Korean adoptee themselves? So that's kind of just the baseline I'm working off of. And when they yeah, don't, so even, Marvel when- Comics presents <laughs> adoption story. That's what we want. That'd be dope. <laughs> 
So a lot of the listeners might not have known, but uh, Eric and I actually had the privilege of being on a panel with uh, Khan and a bunch of other organizations, adoptee organizations for Return to Soul. Um, and that was a fairly big, you know, I, I know it's not, it's it's in the realm of what you're talking about. It's not fiction. It's not a documentary. It's mm-hmm. like, it, you know, it's based off a true story and has some things that have been changed and so forth, but based off of, you know, an adoptee's life and story, um, you know, and Eric got the chance to uh, be the uh, moderator and um, interviewer for that. And I think you did a great job of that and uh, uh, interviewing Laura, uh, Laura Bodful. Um, But yeah, it, it, uh, if anyone has a chance, I I mean, I know we're not, we're not sponsored here. We're not talking about (laughs) it, but I think that was a movie that, um, is important and should be seen. So what what would you agree, Eric, and what things have you taken away from that movie? Is that something that you're kind of talking about that you would like to see more of? Yeah. Um, that, thank you both for sharing your thoughts on kind of uh, adoptee representation in media and, and where we're currently at and what have we done so far. Um, you know, I, honestly, Nathan, I look at all of the film's of not just Korean adoptees, but adoption in general of how they've created this framework of yes, Patrick, whether it's like, you know, this overwhelmingly positive thing. Right. Um, or it's like, Oh no, we adopted a devil child, right? The omen is one of them. Right. Uh, I think Brightburn is another one. Um, um, or they use as this like silly call to action in, in lion or the upcoming Joyride. I haven't fully, you know, I haven't seen it yet, but there's, as far as return to soul, I felt like on a very emotional level and how it kind of blurred the lines of documentary and fiction, that was probably the closest one of really encapsulating the cultural um, nuances of what it means to be um, a person that is an intercountry adoptee, transracial, and trying to find themselves all over again in their uh in their home country um uh, in their country of birth and um in a way it was it hit me a little bit hard because that's exactly what i was kind of doing out here and moving to koreatown was like now i'm you know i'm still trying to reinvent myself trying to find who i am out here in relation to um the larger korean american populace and um I don't feel like I have to be Korean enough anymore. That's definitely something I've dispelled from my head or I'm trying to anyway, but it's definitely something that is insanely difficult to navigate. And, but I'm really enjoying um, all of it. Like I'm, I'm enjoying kind of the, um, I, I didn't know that older Korean American males, depending on the generation tend to be a lot more conservative, what I, which I didn't realize. Um, there's um also working at a quote unquote korean company um there's certain other like work styles and and stuff that i didn't i didn't really catch on to early um and that that kind of differ from the companies i previously worked with so um but as far as films go i think being able to kind of mirror those experiences and put them on film it's Return to Soul is not, it's not lasers. It's not superheroes. It's not um, princesses and, and, and fairy tales. It was, it was a 
true to life narrative. Um, and I think that's something that um, would resonate with a lot of people and, and not just adoptees. Like if you ever felt lost in your own skin in a foreign country or just lost in general, um, this is a film that kind of taps into the, the anger and frustration that is there. Um, the erratic behavior that might manifest from that um, anger and frustration. And um, just like the, the, the overall sense of, um, of feeling lost and feeling without yeah. a home. Yeah. Like that wandering kind of almost aimless. It's not, it's not, a, I, I agree with everything you just said about the movie. I think you gave a really accurate description of the movie and how it portrays that experience. And yeah, I think that sense of lost, I think is a great way of not only feeling lost, but feeling lost, like you said, like, yeah. and then also that lost feeling. I don't fucking well, know what Well, it's just no, you're, no, you're, no, you're spot on. You're, yeah. you're actually no. spot on, dude. I'm no, lost. seriously, like, you're spot on. I had a, I had a conversation with another Korean-American <laughs> filmmaker who um, she's releasing a 30-minute short called Goa, which is it's Korean oh, for yeah, orphan. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I met with up with her just the other day, and... Um, I was kind of, she was telling, she was asking me like, tell me more about your, your, you know, experiences as an adoptee. And I was explaining to her and she's like, ah, Han, this is Han. And mm. I was like, well, what the hell is yeah. Han, man? Like <laughs> Hana, uh, Hana one. <laughs> no, she's like Han. It's yeah. It, she's like, I'm not even going to do a good job of explaining this or do give it justice. But no one can. One of the things though, she said was, it was this inexplicable loss. Yep. You can't explain it, but it's this sense of loss. Yep. It's this somber sense of loss. And I'm just like, whoa. And it just, those, you know, th that short phrase just hit me entirely different. Um, and kind of going back and looking at my experiences and why I was angry when I was younger, why I, you know, uh, punched holes in my w bedroom walls, why I did certain things, right? It was because there was just, I couldn't explain it. It was just this sense of loss or sense of wrong that I felt. Um, you know, I've experienced and I had to express how I was feeling in, in those moments. But at the time, I didn't necessarily have the tools for it. Um, I can feel your Han coming out when you're talking about it right there, <laughs> to be honest. Your you Han know, is totally showing. right. Your Han is you're definitely showing, showing and I appreciate it. I appreciate you sharing all that and totally yeah. agree. And, you know, this is a conversation that we need to continue to have, uh, particularly media representation, especially with movies that are going to continue to use adoptee storylines. You know, sure. we got to be getting in front of that shit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So we're going to have to have you back because it is already 1045 where I am. Oh, wow. and I'm, okay. I'm getting a little snacky. I'm getting a little <laughs> snacky having this conversation. And I want to just. Well, okay. Well, we'll I'll talk about it later. So we're going to transition to a snack real quick <laughs> and then we're going to keep talking. So. Snack time? <sighs> that last loop. Oh, though. you need the... I don't know, unless you want to. I got Indeed. it, my bad. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to the John Chi Show. Snack time? I'm Snack sorry, I'm just going to end it like uh, Patrick ended on the last that. one with a question. That's a good carryover. <laughs> well, I am still questioning whether we're having snacks or not. It is And what I'm doing time. here. <laughs> I know. What what is the meaning of of what is the meaning of time? life? Forty two. Uh, today, uh, we are having a snack by oh CW. CW. Yeah, we haven't had one from them in a while. I still can't remember what it stands for. It's not Crown. It's um, what is it? 
Gabsan Development. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. Uh, I don't know. I know CW. What are we eating though? What is Nathan? CW? We're eating crunchy egg wafer is what it stands for. It looks crunchy. so. It looks like vanilla wafers, but it says egg cookies. So I don't know. Somebody, uh, somebody who can read Hangul. What else does it say? <laughs> uh, it also says Uyuwa. So there's milk, probably flavor. Hamke. Yeah. Mm. I don't remember what that means, but it sounds familiar. Hamke Mashinun. Uh, Mashinun is flavor, and egg. Geran kwaja. So hmm. whatever that means. One of those probably it's, means egg. It's egg and milk, so it's probably a vanilla wafer. Okay. Well, the egg is the third Looks ingredient, good. so yeah, it does look like a... On the package, at least. It does. It does look tasty. I don't know. I was I was interested in these. and Well, uh, I bought these from Kaju open. Market, and they better be good because I had to buy Ooh. three of them. Oh, they yeah. smell good. They smell oh, like does. vanilla it wafer. It does smell like a vanilla wafer. Tastes like a vanilla wafer. Yep. Oh, yeah. Where's my butterscotch oh, pudding? Oh, wait. Oh, a little it tastes drier. like an eggy. Yeah, a little drier in the aftertaste. I taste that egg. I didn't taste the egg. We have another. It um, <laughs> it specifically tastes like egg white, like that's been cooked. So like, okay, now I can taste mm, it. Not like a meringue, but like I don't know, like it's you know, like it's just a little further further when along. When it gets all mushed up and soggy, it does feel like egg whites yeah. in my mouth. So. But it's it's not bad. I'm, a, I'm gonna have to compare this to a vanilla wafer because I feel like it's drier. But it could just be. See, here's what that. you could do: you could send us not only these snacks, but then the snack to compare it to from America. Yeah. Hey, Nathan, can you spend more money on the show, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll get right on that. <laughs> That's the next evolution of Thank our you, show. Young. Comparison <laughs> snacks. Um. Yeah, I don't know. So one of the things I like with vanilla wafers is, like I said, uh, butterscotch pudding or like banana pudding. For some reason, I always liked putting vanilla wafers. I should have had those. this with my freaking creamy ice cream, but that was hours ago now. Yeah. Dang. Oh, and I should mention, since people can't see, these are they look like <laughs> vanilla wafers, but they look like about, I want to say, a third of the size of a vanilla wafer. They're, are they larger normally? It's I the size of a quarter. Yeah. 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 Vanilla so wafers are like the size of a half dollar. Uh, yeah, That's vanilla wafer is like a half dollar. This is like a quarter. These are like the so. cookie crisps of vanilla wafers. Yeah. Oh, mm. yes. Cookie crisp. That is yeah. a reference I get. All the right. cereal? Like cookie crisp. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, I tried to, that last cereal or the last snack we had in milk and it was not good. So oh, I am, yeah, I am hesitant thing. to try that again. Corn flakes. Yeah. No, this and would it, be good. Oh. This would be good. And I think, honestly, if you just wanted to feel more korean but still really enjoy yeah. some vanilla wafers you could sub these and it would work in pretty much every context unless you're allergic to eggs in which True. case you know don't eat these maybe or wheat sugar well i don't know there's a vanilla flavor um i really do th- it's just like egg and milk and then yeah uh it's but not it's, very I mean, complex but i can't stop eating them yeah exactly i was gonna say it's like i i keep going back so yeah. It looks like wheat, flour, sugar, egg, shortening, cornstarch, yeah. processed butter, mm-hmm. egg white. So you guys were right there. Mixed Le- milk powder. Lemon. Mm. Glycerine, glycerine ester of fatty acid. Interesting. Interesting. Ammoni- ammonium bicarbonate. 
That doesn't sound safe. That's a baking yeah. powder. Oh, okay. Yeah. That sounds more safe. Yeah. <laughs> There's actually lemon hear, flavor in the here. The science version, mm-hmm. unsafe. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Anytime I hear like glycerin, I just think of nitroglycerin, That's which I they know call is an explosive. From I just think of the Bush Zorro. song. The Bush song. <laughs> yeah. Glycerin. No, nobody. Okay. I don't know what that is. All right. Well, yes. I'm talking about myself. the mask of Zorro, the legend of Zorro over here. All right. Before like, we yeah, get into ratings, um, Eric, I know we jumped pretty abruptly from our last question. Mm-hmm. So I have one mm-hmm. more question for you. It's sure. the hardest hitting question of the entire evening. Okay. Dum, dum, um, dum. Are the Nuggets going to beat the Lakers in a sweep? And if so, <laughs> are they going to win the finals? My Nuggets. What, I would love to see the Nuggets sweep the Lakers. Every time they come up against the Lakers, they're always it's it's always in the playoffs, and it's always just heartbreak because that's when we actually have a good team, and it's always the Lakers that stop us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Jokic is actually too big of a matchup right now, um, and can't be contained. Uh, Bruce Brown, the KCP, they just have so much depth in the Denver Nuggets team that I don't think the Lakers are going to be able to match up. I and agree. then if the Heat sweep the Boston Celtics, oh my goodness, I would, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cry because I should have looked at my soundboard for this. <laughs> I've hijacked the podcast. <laughs> the yeah. Heat, I'm sorry, but the Heat, like that team, scares me. Jimmy Butler is on one right now, and I don't yes, know who on our team uh, on the Nuggets, uh, our team, like I'm still living there in Denver. I, I don't know who on the Nuggets would be able to fully stop. Uh, Jimmy Butler magic because it's like he is he's going through a tear and then that even that like um even Duncan Robinson throwing up that alley oop to Bam out of bio it's like how oh, yeah. these, these guys can't lose these guys can't lose so they're on a magical run I would hate they're for us like- to get to the NBA finals and then meet the Heat in their magical run and uh, for one of us to not have it but um, out of all the teams the Denver Nuggets <laughs> haven't won an NBA <laughs> championship so I would love to see them win one. That's true. I want to see Jimmy get one, but also I. How is be, this still happening? I don't there know. For you, <laughs> if the Nuggets won, make it um, stop. I, I checked out a long time ago. Oh my <laughs> gosh! I appreciate you uh, taking the time and being open and vulnerable about that answer um, regarding your <laughs> one of your favorite sports teams. Eric, which is why if I had people want to find you and continue this conversation <laughs> yeah. with you, where can they find you? They can find me on Instagram at <laughs> K E M P, which is my last name B O P. So like, kind of like Kimbop. But um, I tried to nice. I tried to get Which it with a, a? a play on words. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like it. It makes I, sense to me. Not like other Korean play on words, <laughs> yeah, <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> or like any of the NBA playoffs that we just talked about. For the last that three makes minutes. sense to me. I just don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed your take. <laughs> I enjoyed their reactions to you continuing on when I thought they thought that you were going to stop. Yeah, I was, I was like, going to go look and for some banana a pudding. Period, and the period became a semicolon. <laughs> Rude. I started uh, eating a second why, snack. This is why Patrick and I get along well, though, yes, is yeah. that we're both talkers. So, see, I like sports, and then guys who like who like really like sports start talking about sports. I'm like, I'm out. I'm so done. Oh, I guess yeah, I don't like sports Eric. anymore. <laughs> Once we get to Eric. stats, I'm like, nope. Find me some food. I'll be talking to the ladies. Yeah, I, I go to the games to eat at the snack bar. So, yeah. I'm talking about <laughs> the stats and eating the um, snacks. Well, talking about stats and snacks, uh, I'm going to give this egg cookie a four out of five. I think it's pretty solid. 
Patch is giving me multiple thumbs up for that transition. Um, so good. <laughs> so good. <laughs> so good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Four out of five. I think it's really, really good. I can't stop eating it. Maybe it was the stat talk, but or the the, the streak talk, but I've almost finished uh, the bag. I've almost swept the bag, if you will. Uh, Goodness. Mine's empty. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. uh, yeah. Four out of five for me. Eric, what do you think? Um. Well... I was hoping that they would be good because I was forced to buy a three pack of these because <laughs> they didn't come in individual packs. So I was like, oh, these things better be good or else I just wasted money on these. But um, <laughs> I'd give them I'd give them four and a half out of five. Um, wow. They're they're a little bit drier than what I wanted um, and a little bit tad smaller and crumbly. But overall, like, yeah, it's kind of creating a mess on my desk. But overall, the taste is solid and still talking 90 percent field goals. Mm-hmm. Still good. <laughs> Okay. He's 90% from he's the field, a, yeah. He's a stat yeah, he's, talk. This is I'm, I'm really trying talk. to yeah, stat I'm really trying to do it. Wait, keep up. Stat DJ. chat. <laughs> Give me that stat filter. Find it in my it. story. Um, <laughs> um, I'm going four and a half out of five, too, for all those same reasons. A little crumbly, a little small. Mm-hmm. I could probably use a little bit of chocolate on there. Definitely give it a five. It had some chocolate on it. <laughs> you always want chocolate on there. <laughs> I, got, I got a problem. Four okay, and a half. Can somebody buy Patrick a chocolate fountain? I know. And just it's okay. Have be, next I, to him for the show. <laughs> just dip a thing in. Be like, oh, yeah, it's so much better with chocolate. I'll just never <laughs> shut it off. I'd like it to never change the chocolate. <laughs> Maybe a little salted caramel on top. And then, then Ooh, that does me. sound pretty Ooh, good. That right? does sound good. All right. But uh, I'm going to go <laughs> with the... Uh, in line with KJ and do a four out of five as well. Um, pretty pretty well-rounded snack. Can't really say much else. I, I am hoping to find some banana pudding soon, though. But <laughs> Can't say much else with that. I You'll have more to I'm say then. Look. Yeah, I'm Should we get you look. a banana pudding fountain, Nathan? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> that would be amazing. No, I used to always <laughs> dip my vanilla wafers in banana pudding or butterscotch pudding. So I'm having flashbacks wow. of my childhood. Remember you just had pudding in the fridge? And how great no, that was. That was never a fact of my life. Oh, yep. it was like only when packs. I went to my grandma's. Like the check. Actually, no, we had pudding yeah. too. Yeah. All right. All right. I've never had chocolate thing. pudding or vanilla pudding. Um, you never really? had it? No, as a kid, as a kid. Oh, I was like, oh, I was like we were sir. more of a Jello family. I'm coming uh, to LA right oh, now. Oh, interesting. Were you take. a Jello with Cool Whip? Cool Whip? 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 No, we're just the Jello with Jello with fruit. Oh, my God. Hey, this is snack time. It's relevant. <laughs> oh my god eric where can listeners find you yeah to um, either talk about jello or nba or sports yeah, yeah. just uh, yeah just broadly sports um <laughs> once again they can find me on instagram at kmp uh k-e-m-p-b-o-p so kemp bop um just like kim bop and um uh they can find me on facebook if they'd like i'm not very active there um, and same with Twitter. I'm not really active there, but I have an account. But the point like, is, I'm just you're there. You're there. Find them. Yeah. <laughs> if someone were Instagram, to find you, they could possibly find you there. Eighty um, percent of being there is just showing up. And the other twenty percent, you showing up is not deleting your account. You dropped the most stats out of all of us by this point. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who did Nathan? KJ, I don't oh, think yeah. that saying percentages is stats, but all right, the stats hey, of this episode. Hey, a hundred percent of people who eat tomatoes will die. So let's just move on. Um, that is rude. <laughs> that is the daddest of jokes. That's a great stat. <laughs> did did Abe Lincoln okay. say that? 
I don't know. Yeah, Abe Lincoln. I mean, have you ever yeah. wondered if soy milk is just oh my god, what's happening right milk, now? Uh, introducing Patrick, itself. Close, close out the show. Okay. Um, if people want to connect with us as a show on the socials, they can do that at John Chi Show. If they want to send us the actual statistics of things that we were talking about in this episode, they can do that via email to johnchishow at gmail.com, or they can leave it to us via voice message at 972-677-8867. If y'all are feeling inclined to support us in any way, you can go to johnchishow.com. There are a number of different ways that you can support us, or if you're feeling froggy, you can uh, go onto the podcast player you're currently listening to this on and leave us a rating or review. Always appreciate that as well. If you want to find me, you can do that at Patrick in the world in most places, except for Facebook and Twitter and other places. <laughs> wow. I'm at KJ Rilke, wherever I want to be found on the internet. I'm N. Nowak on Instagram, and I'm Nathan Nowak on Facebook. It might be one of the last ones. Oh, that's <laughs> true. He is in there manning the after party. If you are still a Facebook frequenter, join us in the after party on Facebook. Nathan will be there. I will not. <laughs> I can make an appearance occasionally. KJ might pop in. I pop my head in there. Uh, Eric could pop in too. Yeah, he's there. That's true. Yeah. We've established he's there. Not active, oh shoot, Eric and I there. are on the subreddit. <laughs> that's right. Oh, oh, yeah. That's true. The subreddit. Mm. How Where's is that going? Shirt? By the way, I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, you've been offered free shirts to people. Wait, wait, wait. We hold are. up. Hold up. You guys said it on the podcast. Oh god, I'm pretty sure we said it on air. Yeah. About what? I don't remember. You'd give a free Eric shirt to like, the first person that would create a subreddit of the John Chi show. Yeah. Oh, that so, sounds like something you'd say. And then Beat Eric was like, it. I'll do like anything for Eric a free shirt. <laughs> At this point, honestly, if someone just said, I did this to support the show and I want a free well, shirt, I'll give you I'd be like, shirt. apparently I said that online. So yeah. Wait, Patrick's <laughs> going to give you a free shirt of which he does not own any of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I got some other shirts I can give you for free. <laughs> it's not going to be a John Chi shirt. Wow. Okay. Well, Eric, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing so much of your story and just being open and vulnerable with us about where you're at right now and, you know, everything that's went into getting here. So hope to have you back on the show sometime. Let's definitely get you back on to talk NBA finals uh, because I think that your boys are. (laughs) They'll probably still be happening in June, Um, right? Yeah, in June. That's that's when they end. Frick. They'll probably still be happening in September, right? I was going to say they might even play again next year. October. October He says he doesn't like basketball, but he just marked the ending and the beginning months of the basketball season. He did. He knows. He's a Mavs fan for sure. It's a curse. A Luka. Luka guy. Luka. Are they going to keep Kyrie? What do you think? He doesn't know. Get rid of Kyrie. (laughs) That was a mistake. I don't know. Is he even playing anymore? John G. Hale. John G. Hale. Hale. Nathan literally is like, shut the hell up. (laughs) Get me the F out of here. I want to go to bed. Where's my banana pudding? Oh my gosh. I could go for some banana pudding right now. That does sound good. Yeah, I could eat. I could eat.